working through the preaching and everything else, but but uh, God really breathed on that church, and they're still a, a wonderful church today, doing a lot of good for the Lord and for His kingdom. Um, we can't manufacture that. I mean, all we can do is do what God tells us to do, and if He chooses to to move in such a powerful way, then He'll do it. And uh, But that's what we need to pray for, isn't it? Amen. Um, I want to share something funny with you. Uh, this morning, I evidently don't know how to read clocks because uh, <clears throat> I did have several guys jokefully tell me to watch how long I preach, and you get that all the time. So uh, I knew to blow them off, but <laughs> but anyway, you you get that, and and um, and so I was up there preaching and kind of had lost track of where we were time-wise, which is probably a good thing. But I looked down here, and I, I, I thought it said 1220. <laughs> and I mean, my heart just started panicking. I was like, oh, my goodness, this uh, longer than long, you know. And so I thought it was 1220, and we hadn't even gotten to the invitation yet. I knew it would be 1230, 1240 before we'd even get out of here. And so I really quickly tried to wrap up my, my notes and... And then uh, came down here, and Wendy and I were talking and trying to figure out if we had any announcements that either one of us were going to make. And Sean was kind of wrapping up the singing, and uh, we could tell you were about to kind of wrap it up. And we were trying to say, you do the announcements and you close us without saying it, just kind of looking at them and pointing. And, and anyway, I pulled out my phone out of my pocket, and I just pushed the time just to see, and it was only 12.03. <laughs> I was like, man. So anyway, I evidently don't know how to read a clock and uh, have to go back to school for that. So, well, tonight I want us to, uh, we'll just have a Bible study of sorts. And then, uh, like I said at the end, I I would like for us to close in prayer. And we may do some individual praying tonight, just kind of some quiet and uh, maybe invite you to either come to what we call the altars or stay right there in your seat or turn around in your seat. But maybe at the end of tonight we could just spend some time in prayer and then me or Sean or somebody will close us out. And uh, it's great to be with you today. Hey, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22 for sure. Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 22. I want us to talk tonight about an evangelistic encounter that Jesus had that did not result in a salvation. An evangelistic encounter that Jesus had that did not result in a salvation. And you know, when we think about Jesus, I mean, could we not say that he was the greatest soul winner of all time? I mean, (laughs) is he not the greatest soul winner of all time? And yet, in Mark chapter 10, in these few verses, we'll find that uh, he has an evangelistic encounter with someone that does not result in salvation, at least as far as we know. And I'll talk about that in a minute as well. But uh, And then what we can learn from this encounter with Jesus and the man that we've come to know as the rich young ruler. So, in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, I'm going to read the scriptures, and then we'll kind of work our way back through them verse by verse in just a minute. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up 
knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was stunned at this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Let's pray for God to speak. Lord, we come to you tonight and we're so grateful for your word and for your spirit and for life, for your church, for this church in particular. We're so grateful for all that you do. And Lord, we do praise you tonight. We honor and glorify you and magnify you in this place. Father, would you use your word tonight to speak to our hearts? Holy Spirit, work in our hearts tonight. Help us to see the great truths that are contained within your word. Help us, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to first of all notice that uh, this man that we've designated, how many of you in your Bibles it says the rich young ruler above your title? Okay, so almost every, you know, no one really calls him the rich young ruler. It's just some Bible people put that in there as a heading, the rich young ruler. But this man, the first thing I want us to notice is that he comes to the right person, doesn't he? He comes to the right person. He comes to Jesus. How many times do we go in other places we don't go to the right person first? He, he came to the right person. He also came with the right posture. Notice that he ran up and, what does your translation says? Mine says, knelt down before him. Somebody else fell on his knees, bowed before him. And so he comes to the right person. He comes with the right posture. And he comes with an important question, but I want us to see in just a minute that it's a flawed question. It's an important question. It's one of the most important questions of all. It's an important question, but it's also a flawed question. He wants to know how he can get in on this eternal life that Jesus perhaps had been speaking of. It's an important question that all of us need to be asking or we need to know the answer. Where will I spend eternity? James chapter 4 verse 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for just a little time and then vanishes. Our lives are so quick. They just pass right on by. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, For it is appointed to man to die once, and then after that comes judgment. So we know we're going to die, and we know that we're going to face God one day. So we need to know what it takes to have eternal life. That's what this man was coming to Jesus. He was coming to the right person. He came with the right posture. He's coming with the right, a question, an important question, but it's a flawed question. Notice the flaws to the man's questions. First of all, 
He has the wrong information. Now be patient with me because this is right and wrong. (laughs) All right. So he comes with the wrong information. He says, good teacher. To which Jesus replies, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was really asking the man to clarify the understanding of who he was. Did the man understand that he, Jesus, was no less than God himself wrapped in humanity? Is that what the man understood? Because in order for someone to be saved and have eternal life, they need to have the right belief about who Jesus is. They need to understand rightly who Jesus is. Many world religions acknowledge that there was a man from Nazareth that was born of Mary and Joseph and whose name was Jesus. They admit that he was a good man. Some religions say, oh yeah, he was a teacher and a prophet. Uh, He preached peace and goodwill. They cannot deny or dispute the historical evidence of his existence. It's a fact. Jesus of Nazareth lived. But they reject the notion that he was God or even the Son of God. However, they cannot have it both ways. Because of Jesus' claims to be God and the Son of God, either Jesus was a lying lunatic and a blasphemer of God, and therefore he could not be a good teacher or a good prophet, or he was who he said he was, and therefore was and is God. They can't have it both ways. Either he's a good teacher, a good prophet, or he's a lying lunatic. You see what I'm saying? Because of the very claims of Jesus, and because the Bible also claims or declares that Jesus is God. Well, some might say, well, where and when does the Bible or Jesus claim that he was God? Well, consider the following verses. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, prophecy, it says, And shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's his very name. You're to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 Joseph receives the dream from the angel and the angel speaks to him and says of his soon-to-be wife, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Even the name Jesus was taken from two names, Jehovah saves, God saves. Only God can save. And so Jesus is God who can save. That's who He is. He's Jehovah who saves people from their sin. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We're in Mark, so uh, just go over just a little bit to the left. Mark chapter 2 is just one of the other places. I mean, there's 
There really is plenty of places that you can go here to show that Jesus is God or Jesus claimed to be God. or The Bible declares that Jesus is God. But in Mark chapter 2, we won't read all the verses, but uh, in verses 1 through 12, this is where Jesus was in a home and there was such a crowd. And, and remember, there were four friends that had a paralytic that they were really wanting to get to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to heal him. But they couldn't get close to Jesus because of the crowd. And so they didn't let that deter them. What did they do? They climbed up on the roof. They took the roof apart and lowered the man down before Jesus. He was perhaps preaching or teaching at that point. And verse 5 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Notice verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus understood their thoughts and he says in the middle of verse 8, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your mat and walk? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he tells the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Look at verse 12. Immediately he got up, picked up the mat, and went in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. How do you think the scribes felt at that point? They were pretty mad, weren't they? They were upset. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this guy think he is that he can say, Son, your sins are forgiven? But why could Jesus do that? Because he was God. He is God. Turn with me to John chapter 10. There, again, there's so many places we could go, but John chapter 8 is one of those when Jesus is in a heated exchange with the uh, Pharisees and at one point, uh, verse 57, the Jews replied, You aren't even 50 years old yet, and you say you've seen Abraham? And remember what Jesus said to them? I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. That was not an accident. Jesus was trying to let them know who he was. I am. I am. <laughs> I am the great I am. And then in John chapter 10, if you'd read uh, really all of it, but... Um, Toward 28 and 30, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Listen to what Jesus said. The Father and I are one. We're the same. You've seen the Father, you've seen me. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said it over and over. I am God. And so, Jesus was not just another good teacher, but he was God wrapped up in humanity. We've been studying that in recent weeks uh, in our Sunday school lessons. But notice, not only did the man have the wrong information about who Jesus was, but he was focused on the wrong individual. Notice that he asked, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. He didn't realize that there was nothing that he could do to merit or earn eternal life. It's, a, it's the devil's trap, isn't it? To, for people to think that they can earn eternal life. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. How many people think that if they just live good, and if they do enough good, that the scales will balance in their favor and they'll earn their way to heaven? How many people, when we go out and we try to share faith, how many people have that kind of view of life? It's a trap. Isaiah 64, verse 6, reminds us that our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man could boast. In order for someone to be saved or to have eternal life, they, they need to have the right belief about not only who Jesus is, but they need to have the right belief about who they are. And Romans 3.23 reminds us that we have all fallen short. We're sinners and we fall short. We cannot do anything to earn our way to God. We are bankrupt. We are empty. We have nothing to give to a holy and perfect and righteous God. Third, not only did the man have the wrong information and he was focused on the wrong individual, but he had the wrong idea. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, who goes around talking about inheritances? <laughs> I grew up in a middle-class family, and looking back, I, I'm not one that can get on the platform and say that I've been poor because I've never known what it's like to be poor. But even though I've never been poor, and my family is a middle-class family, I can assure you this, that when the time comes for my parents to leave this world, I'm not going to be sitting in the funeral service thinking about all the great inheritance that I'm about to come into. <laughs> they've done fine and they've made well and we've, you know, experienced a, a wonderful life growing up. And, but, but I'm not just licking my chops thinking about the inheritance that I'm going to have. And so... Who talks about inheritances? Only rich people think of in terms of inheritances. This rich young ruler was thinking that eternal life perhaps could be passed down or earned like the way his inheritance would most likely be passed down because he was from a wealthy family. <clears throat> but we know that faith is not passed down in the sense that because your mom or your dad was a Christian, then you automatically are a Christian. We know that's not the case. Each person will stand before God one day and will give an account of their own life. And ultimately, the, the only thing that will matter is, did you believe in Christ and did you choose to follow Him on your own, individually, when you stand before God? If we, as mankind, if we've inherited anything, we've inherited the sin nature of Adam. <laughs> Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. If we've inherited anything, we've inherited a sin nature. We were born sinners. 
We are sinners. We will die because of our sin. Look at Mark 10, verse 18. So we see that the man comes to the right person with the right posture. He asks an important question, but it's flawed. He has the wrong information. He's focused on the wrong individual. He has the wrong idea. But verse 18, he says, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asks. No one is good but God alone. I believe God showed me this truth several years ago in this verse. And since then, it has changed, altered my definition of good. I have some uh, neighbors. Some of you know, I know Pat. Y'all know uh, the Gatlins. They're across the street from us. And uh, we don't know all of our neighbors. Uh, We know the ones directly on either side and across the street from us. But the Gatlins are, are good neighbors. I mean, they ask us whenever we're gone, you know, um, or they'll tell us that they were watching the place or, or whatever. I mean, they're, they're good neighbors. If you were to ask me about the Gatlins, I'd say, oh, yeah, they're good people. I would use that language. I would say they're good people. And uh, last Christmas, they came over and knocked on the door one night and and they gave my children something, and I was thinking, wow, this is, we, we never would have dreamed. They're, they're good people. They're good neighbors. But um, I want you to listen to that verse again. Listen to Jesus' own words. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one's good. Except God alone. See, as mankind, we've redefined what good is. God's word says no one is good except God alone. God alone is the standard of good. But man has redefined what is good. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 1 Peter 1, verse 16, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So God is holy. God is perfect. And we cannot keep the whole law, can we? How many of you have tried? We cannot keep the whole law. Romans 3, verse 10 says there is none that is righteous. No, not one of us. Verse 12, no one does good, not even one of us. We're not good. Man has redefined what good is. God is the standard of good. And because God is the standard of good, then there is no one who is good but God alone. So we need to change our definition. (laughs) I can't say the Gatlins are good people. (laughs) Just playing. Don't tell them otherwise. Mark 10, verse 19. Jesus says to the young man, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. I must confess, I used to be confused as to why Jesus was telling the young man the commandments at this point. 
I was thinking, Jesus, he's coming to you because he wants to know how to have eternal life. And then you're saying, you know the commandments. Doesn't it kind of sound like Jesus is going down the wrong road here? I mean, can we really earn our way to heaven by keeping the commandments? And so it confused me. I wondered why he was sharing the commandments with the man who was wanting to know how to be saved. But there's a good reason that Jesus took the man to the commandments first. Romans 3 verse 20 says this. Listen carefully. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. James compares the Word of God to a mirror that a man looks into. Well, the law of the Lord is like a mirror that God uses to reveal to man his own sinfulness and his own unworthiness before God. Remember Isaiah's vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees the Lord high and lifted up and seated on a throne and he hears the angelic creatures crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And in the presence of God, Isaiah says these words. In the presence of God, Isaiah says these words. He says, Woe is me! For I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's what looking into the law of the Lord will do. It will reveal how holy He is and how sinful we are. Several years ago, I was on a trip with the staff from Philadelphia Baptist Church. We had attended a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida, First Baptist Jacksonville. Dr. Jerry Vines was the pastor when we used to go. And we used to go for several years. We took the whole staff and we'd go and just have a great time preaching conference and hear a bunch of good messages and be stirred by the music and enjoy the time, the fellowship with each other. Well, in between preaching sessions, I had to go to the men's room. I'm sorry I'm telling you this, but I had to go to the men's room and and after conducting my business, I went to the sink to wash my hands. And when I moved my hands from the sink to retrieve some paper towels to dry my hands, I happened to glance in the mirror at the suit I was wearing. And much to my shock and horror, there was a huge wet spot where a man would not want a wet spot to be. And this wasn't a dark suit. This was a light-colored suit. So while washing my hands, I had leaned up against the sink, and there must have been water left over from where the other guys had washed their hands and had reached over to retrieve paper towels. And, and so what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you recover from that one? <laughs> You're at a conference, all the guys on your staff know you're supposed to be sitting with them. There's preaching going on. There's Where are you supposed to be? You're supposed to be there. And I'm stuck in the bathroom longer than normal, if you know what I mean. Because I can't go anywhere. 
And in fact, I can't even feel like I can just stand in the bathroom and wait. I've got to hide in a stall. (laughs) I was stuck. I was undone. I was unable to go back to the conference for a good while. I had to hide in the stall the whole time while my pants dried up. But you know, it was the mirror that revealed to me my dilemma. It was the mirror. Had I not looked in the mirror, I wouldn't have seen it. But I glanced in the mirror and I saw my dilemma. That's what the law does to mankind. It should break us. It should humble us. It should shock and horrify us, reminding us that we are in such trouble apart from the amazing grace of God. Mark chapter 10 and verse 20. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. The young man interrupts Jesus in the midst of Jesus talking about the commandments and He says, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. We see two things that are very revealing about this statement. First, notice that he doesn't even refer to Jesus as good teacher anymore. Jesus has already corrected him and said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. So this time, what does he do? He drops the good and he just says teacher. But that's revealing. It's very revealing as to his heart's condition. Jesus had already said that no one is good except God alone. The young man evidently doesn't believe that Jesus is God. Not yet. Second, notice that instead of being humbled and broken by the weight of his own sinfulness, instead we find him to be proud and to proclaim that he is without sin. He has kept the law since he was a youth. So it's the opposite direction of where Jesus would have wanted him to have been. He doesn't understand that Jesus is God. He doesn't even call him good teacher anymore. He just says teacher. He doesn't understand the law that reveals to us our brokenness and our undoneness. I know that's not a word probably. But our dilemma Instead, he says, I've kept all these since I was a youth. How many people, when we go out and we witness, also have that viewpoint? I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I don't do drugs. I take care of my neighbors. I'm good. What are they doing? They are redefining what good is. And they fail to see themselves as sinners. The reason why is because man has redefined what is good. And instead of comparing ourselves to God in His holiness and in His splendor and majesty and glory, we make the mistake of comparing ourselves to one another. And we think to ourselves, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so, or I'm not as bad as Him. You see, only God can reveal Himself to individuals. Only God can open blind eyes that they may see their own sinfulness, and their own need for a Savior. For some reason, God had not yet revealed himself to this man or revealed this man's sin to the man. 
The reason I say yet is because we don't know. If you were to ask me, does this man ever make it to heaven? I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe we'll get to heaven and we'll find out that he's there. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I don't wish him to go to hell. But we don't know. This encounter with Jesus doesn't really end the way we would think that it should end. But I want you to see a couple of things real quickly. Now, this is, if there was any scripture I'd really want you to turn to, this would be some of the scripture, the next couple of verses that we're going to look at. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Really verse 44, but I'm going to jump back to verse 41. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. It's very important. No one can come to the Father unless, to Jesus, unless the Father draws him. Look over at verse 64 and 65. He basically says the same thing. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. No one can come to the Father, or no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. No one can come to him unless it is granted to him by the Father. Turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 16. I want you to notice this language. Very important. You'll remember this occasion. Jesus is asking the disciples, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And remember the disciples' answer, well, some say that you're John the Baptist and others say that you are Elijah and... um, Some say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked them specifically, Who do you say that I am? To which Peter replies, Help me find that verse. Where does Peter reply? Verse 16, You are the Messiah. Was he right? You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. Peter hit a grand slam. He was right on target. He couldn't have been more right. That's who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now notice Jesus' reply or affirmation of Peter in verse 17. Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah. That's what Peter called his name, Simon, son of Jonah. You are blessed. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Who revealed this wonderful saving knowledge of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, being the the Lord, being the Son of God to Peter? Jesus said it wasn't flesh and blood. It's a work of the Father. The Father had to reveal that to you. 
apart from the Father revealing that to you, you would not have gotten it, Peter. And so we go back to the man in our story tonight, Mark chapter 10. Jesus is trying to witness to him and he's asked the right question, really flawed question, but the right question in the sense, what must I do? I mean, what, how can I have eternal life? He just didn't ask it right, but he was asking the right question. How can I have eternal life? That's very important. And Jesus is trying to help him. But the man doesn't understand, first of all, who Jesus is. And he doesn't understand who he is. The reality is God has not yet revealed this to him. So keep going. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus lovingly tests the man and his willingness to receive eternal life. He tells him to sell all that he has, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. We, must, we see, first of all, there is a calling or a drawing or a revealing from God the Father for a person to be saved. But secondly, there's a cost to following Jesus. This man had to be willing to give up his worldly possessions. And then thirdly, he gives the man a choice. Come follow me. It's not that Jesus didn't give him a choice. He did. He gave him a choice. Come follow me. But having counted the cost of following Jesus, verse 22 says that the man walks away because the demand was too great. He was unwilling to give up his earthly possessions, all that he had, in order to gain eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, joy, love, peace, the abundant life in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice something very significant. Notice that Jesus does not chase the man down and beg him to come to Christ. It's not there. You can keep reading. He doesn't chase the man down. You know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't change the gospel in order to make it easier for the man to come to Christ. He just doesn't. He does not compromise the gospel one iota. The gospel is this. You either come or you don't. He doesn't chase the man down and beg and plead. He doesn't change the gospel. And this is the hard part. Notice that Jesus is willing to let the man walk away lost in his sin. Destined for an eternity in hell, he lets the man walk away. Wow. But you know what? Jesus knew. Of course, he's God. He knows all things. 
He knew that God had not revealed himself to that man yet. He knew that God had not revealed to the man the man's own condition yet. Do you hear my words? Yet. But here's my personal opinion, my op-ed for just a minute if you'll allow me to. I'm convinced that many in modern day evangelism would have had this good man pray a sinner's prayer, would have advised him to walk down the church aisle and come take the preacher by the hand, would have advised him to be baptized in the baptistry, join the church role, encouraged to join a Sunday school class of their own age. And yet notice that according to Jesus' estimation, this man was not ready to be saved yet. God had not finished the work in this man's life. He had not revealed first and foremost who Jesus was to this man. And he had not revealed to this man how sinful he was. Jesus knew he was not ready to be saved. I know many who would have had this man pray. And we would have had him in the church roles. Now, listen, do we want lost people in the church, Sherry? <laughs> Absolutely. Don't we want lost people sitting in the pews? Absolutely. But do we want lost people thinking that they're saved? No. And so we do not compromise the gospel. And there's something that we learn here from Jesus, the greatest soul winner. And here in my notes I put, don't fool yourself into thinking you want somebody to be saved more than Jesus does. Don't fool yourself into making that mistake. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the whole reason He came. So don't think that you want somebody to be saved more than Jesus wants somebody to be saved. But Jesus knew this man was not saved. Ready, yet God had not done His full work in him. So God has to reveal Himself to people. He has to reveal their sinfulness in, to them in order for them to see their need for a Savior. There's a cost for following Jesus. We need to count the cost. We need to help people see that there's a cost. And man, that's so hard in America, Christianity, isn't it? I mean, what's the cost? <laughs> we get to come and worship in an air-conditioned building with seat cushions on our pews and no threat of our lives tonight. No one is worried about someone coming in the door and arresting us. And yet there is a cost to following Jesus, and we need to be faithful to share the cost of following Jesus. It may cost you your family. Ultimately, it may cost you your life. But that's hard, isn't it, in America to, to paint that picture of what it would cost you to be a Christian. But I tell you what, around the world, it's not too difficult. 
There are Christians around the world that they do have to call, count the cost. And there are Christians who live, lose their lives because they've chosen to follow Jesus. And don't think that we get off scot-free. <clears throat> We're going to have to answer before God one day. You had it so good. <laughs> you had it so easy. What did you do with my Christ? We must choose between this world and the world to come. The earthly and the temporal or the heavenly and the eternal. That's what that man had to do, the rich young ruler. He chose the earthly and the temporal, what he could see and not what he couldn't see. What do we need? Let me wrap up. First of all, we need Holy Spirit boldness to share the gospel, don't we? How many of you need that? I'm going to pray for that tonight. I'm going to be honest with you. I need Holy Spirit boldness to share the gospel with lost people. When we pray in a minute, maybe you'd like to pray for that. Holy Spirit, fill me and help me. You know what? We, we also need Holy Spirit sensitivity and discernment when we're dealing with someone and they may not be at that point yet where they're ready to accept Jesus Christ. And that something that goes along with that, we also need Holy Spirit patience. We need Holy Spirit patience. Isaiah 55 verse 11 you know this and you hold on to it like I do. God says, My word will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish everything that I have purposed for it to accomplish. My word will not return to me empty and void, but will accomplish all that I have purposed for it to accomplish. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, you'll be familiar with these verses as well. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the increase? God. You know this rich young ruler, we don't know the rest of the story. I'm going to tell you what I hope. and What I'm going to choose to believe, although it won't make a difference. <laughs> He's already lived life and he's already died and his eternity's already been determined. But I do believe God loves sinners. And I believe he came to save. And sometimes when we bear witness to someone and we share Christ with them, listen, they don't always accept Christ the first time we go and tell them. Does that mean that we wipe our hands of them and say, well, then you just go on to hell? That's not our attitude, is it? What do we do? We pray. We continue to ask God to move in their hearts. Maybe the Word needs more time to, for the seed to be watered in their hearts and in their lives.
And so there's a planting, a, a time to plant, and there's a time to water, and there's a time that God allows harvest. And you know what? We can't look into someone's heart and know where they are in that season. Is this a, a planting time? Is this a watering time? Is this a time of harvest? I can't determine that. So what do we do? We pray for their salvation. We share the Word of God. We trust in the Holy Spirit. And we wait for God to reveal Himself to that individual. Because until God reveals Himself to that individual as to who Jesus is and who they are as sinners, that person cannot come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Cannot. And we have an example of that in God's Word where Jesus was willing, the ultimate soul winner, the very reason He came to this earth, He let that man go. Because the timing was not right. I want us just to close in prayer tonight. I'm going to ask you to, in just a minute, we'll bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you want to slip quietly anywhere in the building, we've got this whole building. <laughs> we've got the whole building. Why don't you get somewhere alone just for a few minutes? I told you what I'm going to be praying for. I need Holy Spirit boldness to share Christ again. Let's pray for God's Spirit to be poured out upon this church. Let's pray that God will see the potential that we'll have if we'll just give Him everything. Let's spend some time in prayer. And then, uh, Sean, in just, uh, I don't know, five or ten minutes maybe, you can either lead us in a song or lead us in prayer. We'll let you close us out tonight. But uh, Thank you, Sean. All right, prepare your hearts, whatever you're going to do.
Father God, I thank you for this time we've been able to come here and worship you. and God, spend this time in your presence. And Father, I pray that, uh, that you will use us and not just the, the small portions that we tend to give up willingly. But, Father, use all of us, God. I, I pray that that you will uh, show us through the mirror of your word, God, the things that, that we may not even be given up, that we just may not have thought about or recognized, God. I pray that you will bring that recognition to each and every one of us so that we can be filled to the very brim, God, and allow you to pour out of us to the... Uh, to the community, God, we have such a, a sphere of, of influence right here. Um, and God, I pray that our community may see you long before they ever see us as individuals or us as Kingsville. God, I pray that that uh, that when we go out and, and do ministry, God, that that people don't say, well, look at Sean or, or look at Pastor Bart or look at uh, whomever or even look at Kingsville. God, I pray that they may see and say, look what God is doing. And thank you, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. And Father, we thank you for your blessing and uh, allowing us to be here and serve you and, and and be in the United States of America, God. And Father, I, I pray that you will give us even more of a sense of urgency because you are coming back and you have a job for each and every one of us here to do. And Father, I pray that we may do that um, beyond our ability through your power. We praise you, God. And Father, I pray that you will change us to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.